Amen. Amen. All right. Welcome, everybody, on this humid, dreary day outside. It's not too bad, though. I actually like it better than yesterday. Um, but I am happy to be with you all this morning. My name is Nathaniel. I'm the missional communities guy here at Storehouse. Uh, and today, I'm especially grateful to be able to be up here sharing uh, the Word of God with you because today is the first day of Holy Week. It is Palm Sunday. And so this week is a special time for Christians, for the believer, uh, for this church. Um, we have Palm Sunday today. Good Friday is this coming Friday. And then Easter is right around the corner next week. And so this week is very important. It's very special and it's, uh, it's something that has been taken seriously and celebrated around the world for centuries. It is, it is something that is not just unique to us or here, our storehouse. It is something that the historical church has celebrated together. And so this week, this Holy Week, it truly is special. And because of that, we're going to take a short break from our sermon series in Colossians. And we're going to spend uh, some intentional time over these next three services, today, Friday, and next Sunday, to uh, explore, see what the Word says, uh, and to celebrate, like I said, together uh, this Holy Week. And now there is a uh, reality, though, with, uh, with this week being so special, with this week being important, with Easter coming up. Uh, and that is that there are billions around the world who don't think it's special. There are so many in the world who this week is just another week. Uh, maybe there might be even those who celebrate this week, but more because it's like a cultural or a social you know, thing. Like Easter is something that I remember growing up, it was celebrated you know, in the schools, it was celebrated in the entire community, um, but it was not really about God. It, you know, it was more about you know, the Easter bunny and, and being able to do eggs and do all the Easter egg hunts and all that, right? Uh, so there's a cultural element to Easter in this week that has you know, taken a life of its own. And so there are many who this week is not special, though, in the way it's special for us. And I mean, it, it's no wonder. The, there's so many different philosophies, ideologies, religions in the world, right? I mean, it is said in Scripture that the way is narrow, that so many will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that is, uh, it's just a truth. It's a reality of our world and, and our lives. But there's a question that is asked, though, that we have to ask, all of us, individually. If you're a believer, you've had to ask this question to yourself. There's a question that every person in the world asks if they're exposed to Christianity. Uh, and there has to be an adequate answer to this question for us to be able to uh, believe and understand how special this week truly is. And that question is, why Christianity? Why Christianity over anything else? Why not atheism or, or deism or agnosticism or uh, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism? There's so many options in the world. There's so many things, ideologies, philosophies. I mean, we even touched on this a little bit in Colossians this past week as Paul reminds us that there are many appealing, logical arguments in the world that can pull you away from Scripture and from God. But we have to ask ourselves, why Christianity? 
Now, if you're a Christian, you've asked this question before, and you may ask it throughout the course of your lifetime at various times. Why do I believe this? Why Christianity? And if you are not a believer, maybe you're wrestling with it, or maybe uh, you're here just because, you know, family brought you, or, or because it's kind of the cultural thing to do, but you have no relationship with God, and, and you think to yourself, yeah, why Christianity? What's so special really about it? And then there are those billions in the world that really have nothing to do with Christianity, and the question is, why Christianity over anything else? This question is vitally important, and we all have to wrestle with it, and we all have to have an answer for it. If you don't have a a real answer to the question, why do I believe in Christianity? Why do I believe in this? Then your faith is shallow. And if somebody who doesn't know God, doesn't know Jesus, comes and asks you that question, why should I believe this? And you don't have an answer? How is that convincing at all to that person that this is actually worth anything? We have to have an answer to the question, why Christianity? Now this week, this holy week, is celebrating what Jesus did upon the cross. Celebrating, I mean, today we're talking about, uh, our, uh, with Palm Sunday, we're talking about Jesus entering into the holy city, being celebrated as a prophet, a messiah, uh, somebody special, but then we see quickly that all of that changes. And then he is betrayed by a close friend, tortured and murdered upon the cross, and he dies. And then we see on Easter that he rises again, that he does not stay dead. He conquers death, and he is through that death able to pay the price for our sin, and then he rises from the dead, conquering death and promising us eternity with him in relationship. And that all is what we're celebrating this week, and it is vitally important. It is the gospel itself, and it is special for the believer, but those who don't know God are asking, why should I believe that? Why? Over anything else. And so when we're talking about this question, why Christianity, apologetics is one of those areas that come into play immediately. Now, apologetics is simply the ability to have logical argument, debate about, um, about a subject. And so in terms of Christianity, it's debating with somebody, okay, these are logical arguments saying that Christianity is true, that, that Jesus is God, that God is real. Um, and so apologetics plays a big part in this. And I want to bring up apologetics because for those who are not Christians, the Bible means nothing to them. It doesn't. Why, why would they look at evidence from Scripture as a reason for them to answer the question, why Christianity, if they don't believe in Scripture? And so their first spot is going to be in the realm of logical arguments. And so while we are going to explore these and ultimately see that the answer to this question is not found in logical arguments and in, uh, in the pursuit of apologetics, we are going to see, though, that we must have an understanding of it so that we can engage with a world that so desperately needs to know the answer, why Christianity? 
And so the first launching point for this is really the question, how, how do we know that God exists? That's what people want to know. How, how do we know God even exists? Because if you don't believe in God, then, uh, well, you're not going to believe in Jesus. You're not going to believe in Christianity, right? And so we have to look at the question, how do we know God exists? And to answer this question, there's many ways that go about it. We're going to just keep everything simple, short, and it's not going to get too complicated because we could, I mean, we could teach a whole semester's worth of stuff on uh, apologetics. But when we're talking about the question, does God even exist? A uh, central point of debate is creation. Because let's be real, if you can definitively prove how creation took place, then you'll have your answer, is there a God or no God, right? Now, the, the common uh, scientific theory uh, right now is the Big Bang Theory. Basically, um, that in a space-time vacuum, that there was spontaneous creation of matter. That's kind of what it is. Now, there's the idea that Christians will throw back at that, saying that it is the creation out, you know, something out of nothing, and that's actually not accurate. What they believe, the, the belief is that it's a space-time vacuum where time itself is this eternal, infinite substance from which uh, spontaneous creation can take place. Okay, does that make sense? Super simple. Um, and it's there's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of the basis. And that at one point in time, there was nothing except for the space-time vacuum. And then at some time later, there was the universe. And there is this relatively short period of time of spontaneous creation. Okay? Now, if you're bringing in the argument of, does God exist? Then really, what you're doing is you replace time with God and say time is created also, God is that infinite and eternal substance from which spontaneous creation comes from. Okay? Like I said, super simple and simplified. Okay? But do you see the problem already with this argument? You cannot definitively prove one over the other with empirical evidence. Through these kind of apologetic debates, you cannot say definitively that God exists, or you cannot say God doesn't exist. Anyone who says otherwise is lying. And so are you really going to convince somebody who is positive that God does not exist? And they say God cannot exist. It doesn't make any sense. You can look at these arguments and you can come forward and say, logically, it seems like less of a leap to say that there is a creator God that set the universe into motion rather than the near mathematical impossibility for complex life to come from this spontaneous creation of matter. I mean, you could say that, but if somebody is dead set on saying there is no God, there is no empirical evidence within these arguments, this and others, that can say one way or the other, there is a God or there is no God. And so with the question, why Christianity, we already see that these type of debates fall short. We're not going to really change any minds if we go that route. And so let's, uh, let's move forward a little bit to uh, just spirituality itself, because the human race is very spiritual. This is evident, right? There's multiple religions, philosophies, uh, spiritual things, wh- whatever, uh, within the world. We're a spiritual people. And we know the truth as believers because Scripture tells us that we are physical bodies and spiritual, right? We have physical and spiritual together to make us human. And so this makes sense. But 
let's go with the assumption that somebody assumes that yes, there is some kind of maybe God or divine substance, you know, something like that. And they ask the question, why Christianity though? I mean, there's so many others. Why Christianity? Now, if we're talking about apologetics, one of the most common arguments is that Christianity is the only religion with actual unmerited grace as the foundation. That through unmerited grace that we are saved. I mean, that's an argument that is used in apologetics often. And it is true. God saves us through grace and grace alone. The problem with this kind of argument, though, is that Christianity is not the only religion in the world that's focused upon unmerited grace. Now, there's many examples, but the uh, best example would be uh, Shin Buddhism. Now, if you're familiar with Shin Buddhism, uh, it sounds on its surface very similar to Christianity. In Shin Buddhism, basically the whole concept is that this guy, uh, I don't remember his original name, but he's the Lord of Light. It's basically what they call him. The Lord of Light, he reached enlightenment when he was a human on earth and then stopped before he got to nirvana and said, I am going to help save those still on earth. And so he, through unmerited grace, no works done by uh, anyone here on earth, he is going to help people reach enlightenment so that they can go to nirvana. And it is a religion of complete unmerited grace. I mean, it sounds very similar. And so... These kind of arguments we see, actually, uh, they don't particularly work. Somebody asks, why Christianity? And you say, because we are saved by grace and grace alone. And they're like, yeah, but so are they. So why Christianity? This question is so vitally important because we must know how to engage with the world because we want the free gift of salvation, which is the best thing that has happened for any believer. We want this for everybody. And if we cannot engage with this question, then we are failing those around us. And so we need to be able to answer why Christianity. And if we approach it from this apologetic standpoint, while I will say it is good to know I mean, obviously, I know some of these things because we need to be engaged with the way the world thinks. We need to know scientific theory. We need to know what other religions are teaching. These things are important. But our answer for why do I believe in Christianity does not come from these debates. They cannot come from these debates. So why Christianity? How do we know that what we see in this book is complete truth? How do we know that Jesus is real? How do we know that God loves us, cares for us, has saved us? How do we know? Why Christianity? The answer is because of Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ alone is the difference. Jesus is a verified historical figure through scripture, which 
if we take a look at it, is a historical document too. And so through scripture and other sources outside of the Bible, Jesus was real. We know this. And he lived a life not chasing fame. He lived a life not pursuing the rich and the powerful. I mean, you look at religions across the world, and one of the first things that happens is pursuing those who are most influential to become converts. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus pursued the broken. He pursued the weak, the poor, the sick. Jesus lived a life where the main hallmark of his ministry was love and compassion. We see that Jesus died a terrible, brutal death, not once wavering from the truth that he knew about himself. And then we see that his followers after that spread out to the ends of the earth and they shared that message through love and compassion and what they experienced was brutal. The apostles in the early church, they did not reach fame or power or influence. That did happen much later. But when Christianity was just starting out, they were in poverty. They were beaten. They were killed. It was not a fun time. And yet it continued to spread. By all reason and all logic, Christianity should not have flourished. It should have died out. And yet it didn't. And the only reason that it did flourish and the only reason that it was so successful was because of the person of Jesus. Not the traditions, not the fine structure and organization of the early church or anything else. It was purely because the person of Jesus Christ was so powerful and alive to make it happen. So when somebody asks the question, why Christianity? Why should I believe in any of this? Your answer needs to be Jesus Christ. Everything comes from there. Jesus is the difference. Jesus is why I know that God is real. Jesus is why I know that this life is worth it to live in submission to him. Jesus is the reason I know we're not a mathematical improbability at cosmic proportions. Jesus is why I know that scripture is true. Jesus is the answer and the answer alone. And as we go into this week, celebrating today, Friday, and next Sunday, remember that no matter what the question is, Jesus alone is your answer. Today we're going to be in Hebrews 1, and we're going to see what makes Jesus so unique, why Jesus is like no other figure in history, and we're going to see why Jesus is worth following. And so join me in uh, opening your Bibles to Hebrews 1, verse 3, as Emma's already read, but we're going to read it again, because we're going to take this one verse, and we're going to dissect it. We're going to spend time just looking at it and seeing, okay, what is really special and unique about this man? Verse 3, he, the son, the son is the radiance of the glory of God 
and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray together as we dive into this passage. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, you are, your, your character Your person gives us confidence to know the truth of what you tell us in Scripture. Let us not forget how special you truly are. Let us not assume that we understand everything about you and just cast you aside as just a given because Christianity is what we do and Christ just happens to be in it. Jesus, let you be the focus of everything that we do and think. Father, help us this morning to be able to look at this scripture and to be able to truly understand. Holy Spirit, do a work within our hearts and our minds so that we can have comprehension. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Put me aside. Let your word speak for itself. In your holy name, amen. All right, we're going to look at Hebrews 1, 3, and we are going to see exactly why Jesus is so special. And now, once again, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of, you know, the science and the the historical, you know, uh, context of everything, because that could take forever. Um, But the person of Jesus Christ, who he truly is, is amazing, it's, it's absolutely and utterly amazing. And it is something that doesn't make any sense, and yet we can see that it is true through the evidence of his people. And so first, we start out with the very first section of uh, verse 3. He, speaking of the Son, the Son is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Basically, this is saying that the mysteries of God are revealed in Jesus. Now, God is so infinitely complex and vast and grand that it's impossible for us as humans to truly grasp all of God, to even think about how that works. There's this uh, phenomenon that when, uh, and I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have experienced it, when you're in like a large group of people and for like a split second, all of a sudden you just recognize and realize, oh, all these people have lives just as complex with as many, you know, worries and anxiety as I do, right? We have these moments. I, I know for me, I get it a lot when I'm in traffic where I'm just like sitting there and you're just kind of like waiting. And all of a sudden you realize all these cars have people where their lives are just as crazy as mine is. And for a moment, you're, you feel a part of just something so much greater where, you're, where you're, sometimes you may feel insignificant or just, man, this world is so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And it's because our view is so limited. As humans, our view is just limited to what we have around us and our own experience. God is just so great that we have a very hard time to understand who he really is. But Jesus, he is the lens to view the unviewable. 
He is the way that we are able to understand and comprehend God in a way that makes sense to us. He gives us access to God. And the really important and special thing about this is that Jesus Christ is not a representative of God. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a demigod, which is throughout other religions and other philosophies. He is God himself on earth. He is not a mere representative And so through God entering into human history and spending life here on earth as Jesus Christ in his ministry, doing his will, we are able to see that we truly can know God because God walked among us. And that's the next section of this verse. It says, and the exact imprint of of his nature, that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Now, nature right here is actually better translated as his character or his his, his personality, his personhood, his, his character traits, right? And so what it's really saying is that if you know Jesus, if you know who Jesus is, then you can know who God is. And see, this is the amazing thing about the early church. This is the amazing thing about the apostles and why everything spread when it shouldn't have is because people knew who Jesus was because they lived life with him and they knew then exactly who God was. And so in their minds and in their hearts, there could be no doubt that he was worth following. He was worth dying for. He was worth going through all the pain and the trials and tribulations that happened to those within the early church especially because they knew Jesus and thus they knew who God was. And the beautiful thing is that those of us alive today, we can know Jesus too. Because Jesus died on the cross but didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. He lived in ministry and love with those around him for a period of time and then ascended into heaven, he is alive today. And those who believe in him and enter into relationship with God truly can know Jesus too. And so since we know who Jesus is, since we can have a relationship with him, and because we have been given this book which gives us very accurate representation of who Jesus is, we can know exactly who God is. And we can know, this this book is amazing. It is the holy word of God, but it is also full of eyewitness accounts of the person Jesus Christ. Now, one of the big arguments against the gospels and against who Jesus was is that there's, you know, the the four gospels that talk about Jesus, but there's multiple different ways that the authors will talk about him or or even uh, quote different uh, circumstances or talk about different events. and, And they say, it's all different. You can't even get your story straight. So of course we can't believe that. That's a huge argument in the world that Christianity doesn't make any sense and the Bible can't be true. But if you know anything about eyewitness accounts is that if the story is completely the same, then it's not a good thing. If a, if a cop is listening to this and you got four people who say, oh, this is what happened, and they verbatim say it the same, then 
that's, that's a warning sign that this is not the truth. So the fact that we have multiple viewpoints coming together within the Gospels, that is actually telling us, even from a historical standpoint, and, and, uh, and uh, I have a degree in history, and so I studied this like, in depth about like, primary sources, and the Bible is actually a rather good primary source, just historically speaking, because of those inaccuracies, because of those differences because it's much more likely to be genuine. These are real experiences from eyewitnesses who knew Jesus recorded for us that 2,000 years later we're able to read. And even though there may be slight differences in how things happen throughout the Gospels, we're able to look at the Gospels as a whole and you have one person that comes and shines through. There is no doubt or debate between the Gospels about who Jesus is and what kind of man he was because they all align on that area. And so we see that we can know Jesus. We can know him today through personal relationship and even before you enter into relationship with God on a personal level, you can look at these things and say there is evidence for who he was. And the beautiful thing is that because he is the exact imprint of God's nature, we can know that because Jesus was good and kind and humble and confident and completely honest and compassionate, we can know that God is also all of those things. There is no mystery anymore to the character and quality of God Almighty because of the person of Jesus Christ. That is a very special thing to have access to. If we continue on, he says next, and he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Saying that creation itself is upheld by the Son's will. And now basically, the, the main point coming from this is that we cannot forget that Jesus, as a man, as a historical figure that we have evidence for, both in scripture and outside sources, that Jesus is a historical figure and that he is not just human. That Jesus, we can't forget his sovereignty, his majesty, the power of the eternal son of God in Jesus Christ and that the son chose to enter into human history, to take upon himself human nature purely for the purpose to redeem humankind from our sin, our failure, our inability to honor God, our creator. No other philosophy, no other religion, nothing else has that combination. Jesus is purely unique because he is an infinite, self-sustaining, doesn't need us, God. And he sacrifices so much purely for the sake of those who don't deserve it. There is nothing else like that in the whole world. 
And it continues after making the purification for sins. That the salvation that we do have through unmerited grace is through the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. And this is simply the reminder that there is a separation between humans and God because of our evil, our sin, the things that we do that are against his good nature and character. And so because of that separation, there had to be a way to bridge the gap. And so the son entered into human history as a man, lived life as Jesus Christ, and he did amazing things in his ministry. He did miracles, the supernatural. He loved, he healed, he wept. And then he was betrayed. And he was killed upon the cross. But that is not where the story ends. That he made a purification of our sins, that he paid the ultimate price. He paid the debt that we all have because of our evil. And he conquered it. And he conquered death. And he carried on and rose again from the dead so that we can also know for a fact that this life is not it. That we can have eternity with the Father in heaven together. And he ascended into heaven saying, death will never claim me and I will always be victorious. That is the promise that we have in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he did throughout the cross and his resurrection. That is wonderful, and it is, it is the best gift that we can have. It is the best gift that can be offered to the world, and we should never take for granted what Jesus Christ has done for us. But Jesus alone is the difference. And it says that after he redeemed humankind and paid the price for our sins and made a way for us that he sat down at the right hand, the majesty on high. And this is telling us that Jesus Christ lives forever, lives right now, and that he has claimed a place of majesty and authority as the Son of God. And this will tell us a few things. One, that we have assurance that our salvation is permanent that it cannot go away, that the salvation that is offered through the holy book, the Bible, what it tells us, we know for a fact that that salvation is true today and tomorrow and in the future for our children and for those who come after. The truth of salvation is permanent. It can tell us that we have an assurance that our relationship with God actually happens that it's not just some experience. I know the biggest struggle for myself is, man, am I just making this up sometimes? Am I just letting experience get in my way? Am I just taking some you know, concept of God to be, make myself feel better about whatever it may be? Man, that's, that's my own insecurities, my own weakness, and I can know because of who Jesus is that my relationship with him is genuine and real and it is substantial. Jesus exposes our insecurities and he redeems them. He can tell us that we have assurance that we shall be changed by this 
relationship. And Jesus is all good, all loving, all compassionate. And when you enter into a relationship with somebody, when you enter into a relationship with anybody, there's going to be a measure of, you know, characteristics rubbing off on each other, right? When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he rubs off on you. The good nature of Jesus is going to come out of the believer because you are in relationship with him. And we not only see that as a logical conclusion, but we know that it is true because the evidence is in the transformation of Christians around the world over 2,000 years. This, this is why for centuries people have come to the church because there is a truth in the transformation of God's people. And if you're sitting in this place and, and you may be a believer and you are struggling with the fact that I just can't seem to get over something, I just can't seem to get over this sin, or I feel like I haven't been transformed at all, then that is the enemy telling you lies. Because you have been changed, you have been transformed, you have been redeemed and regenerated so that you become more like Jesus. And I implore you that if you are here and you doubt this and you are in the midst of pity or doubt or shame, guilt, cast that to Jesus because he wants you to experience the fullness of his grace. And we can know because of this that Jesus is sovereign, even without our ability to see him, because he moves, he is alive, he is active, a guarantee that we will not be forgotten, a guarantee that he transforms and guides us, and that we have no need to fill in the gaps of our life with anything other than him. Jesus is unique. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. Jesus is relational and he transforms us. Jesus also loves and he comforts. He heals us. He sits beside us in moments of pain and suffering. And Jesus saves us. So when we are confronted with the question, why Christianity, whether it comes from within ourselves or from another person that we are engaged with in conversation, why Christianity? Why should I choose to believe any of this is true? The answer is simply Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I am in awe of who you are. Father, I ask that you never let that go away. I pray that we never forget who Jesus is and how amazing that truly is. Let us not assume that we understand. Let us not assume that we know it all. Let us not assume that Jesus is just a part of the background. Jesus, you are everything. 
and we submit ourselves to you today. And if you're in this place today and you are a believer, you are a Christian, and you find yourself still struggling with doubts or moments of, man, why Christianity? Why do I believe this? Then I implore you, turn to Jesus. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to do a multitude of things. That's the amazing thing about grace is that he freely gives it to us. Just turn your heart and mind toward him and say, Jesus, I need you to reveal more of yourself to me. Open your Bible. Learn more about who Jesus is. And that it will be your answer. And for those who may be in this place or listening online and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you have been a part of Christian communities for a long time, or perhaps you uh, have never really been a part of Christian communities and this is kind of your first exposure or, or it's just something you've been thinking about. I mean, the question for you is why Christianity? Why should I believe this? And I tell you right now, the answer is simply Jesus. If you want to know why you should believe any of this is true, then I ask you to learn more about Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that he says that if you just confess that you do have a need to know, confess that you do need a savior, that there are things in your life that you cannot control, that, that you have sinned and done evil in your life, no matter how major or minor it may be, that if you can confess and say, God, I do want to know you. Jesus, I want to know who you are, that he will answer. That Jesus will begin a dialogue with you, a, a communion with you, so that you can know who he is. Church, let us not forget the most important thing in our life, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In your holy name, amen.